welcome everybody to this edition of the Pac-Man Podcast. I'm Ted Flint. Pac stands for Patriotic American Citizen, and we do this weekly, at least weekly, sometimes twice a week, and this is a bonus weekend edition, Super Bowl Sunday and all. I want to get my predictions in there for what it's worth. You know, this everybody's talking about this Super Bowl not being all that interesting. I mean, uh, the Packers aren't in it. My beloved Packers got... You know, ran into trouble again, as they have, it seems, in recent years. They haven't won a Super Bowl since 2010. And I was watching something on uh, YouTube recently. Colossal Patrick uh, Packer chokes from 1998 to 2020. And, of course, the 98 was a Super Bowl against Denver, which was a back-and-forth affair. And whoever had the ball last was going to win. And, of course, Denver had it last, and they wound up winning. I think maybe Brett Favre, Packer quarterback, threw an interception uh, in the last-ditch effort. But anyway, so the Packers have had some trouble in recent years in the playoffs, but it's going to be Cincinnati and the uh, L.A. Rams, and they're playing in California. I forget where, Pasadena, somewhere in California. The, the uh, kickoff temperature will be around 80, and it's going to be one of the warmest Super Bowls on record. Now, I, I don't have a lot of interest in, in the Super Bowl this year, so maybe I can you know, sit, sit back and relax and, and actually enjoy the game without being emotionally involved. But I'll tell you what, if I were going to bet, I'm not a betting man, but if I were to bet, this this kid for Cincinnati, this Joe Burrows, I don't think he's lost a playoff game throughout his college career. I think he played at LSU and now with Cincinnati. Uh, he doesn't, you know, have a powerful arm, doesn't have that real gun the way Drew Brees uh, had it and, of course, Rodgers and, and Tom Brady. And he's not imposing physically, not real fleet of foot, but he just gets the job done. He has that it factor. I mean, he is a winner, and I wouldn't bet against him. I think Cincinnati's going to upset the Rams. I think they're going to surprise a lot of people for what it's worth. All right. What happened to the uh, the Marxist uh, rallying cry? Workers of the world unite. Aren't Marxists supposed to care for the little guy, the proletariat, the worker? That's not the case here when, when it comes to the truckers in Canada. You know, Justin Trudeau, I'm watching him. This guy's in way over his head. He is. He looks like he's about 25, 30 years old. And he's threatening reprisals, and there's going to be uh, hell to pay for these truckers. These truckers have had enough with what's going on. It's a vaccine mandate, and they're protesting against the vaccine mandates in Canada. And it's spilling over into this country. There are a lot of trucking outfits in this country, and the fear is that what's happening in Canada, because of their proximity to America, is going to happen here. Uh, It already is happening in America. You know, Canada connects to parts of Detroit, and it's affecting the supply chain. There's a disruption in the, in the supply chain. And I heard the car companies uh, in, in Detroit have to reduce their output. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to take them months to recover. But, you know, these truckers have had enough. They're frustrated. They've worked to keep this economy going and the supply chain of our country going. And, you know, not to, not to mention the global economy. We're in troubled times here. The truckers, they can't work remotely the way a lot of state workers are still working remotely. So Trudeau is against the, the, the truckers and their, uh, their protests and rallies, but he was for the Black Lives Matter rallies and, and riots, basically, last summer. He said, I agreed with the goals when I supported the people expressing their concerns and their issues. This is Trudeau speaking of BLM. Black Lives Matter is an example of that. So he supported that, but he doesn't support the truckers. 90% of the truckers have been doing the right thing, trying to put food on the tables of, of people in Canada. And this is, this is a huge 
protests. I mean, there are thousands of trucks and truckers, tens, tens of thousands. And uh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to go away anytime soon. You know, a Washington Post cartoonist, the, the Washington Post is Washington Compost, as Mark Levin calls it. They depicted the convoy with the word fascist drawn on the side of each truck. Any, anything the left doesn't agree with is fascist. Everybody's a fascist or a racist if they support blue-collar people. Shifting gears a bit here, I want to talk a little bit about the mask mandate here in New York specifically, and I mean the People's Republic of New York. Some of these northeastern states are run by, talk about fascists, they're, they're, they're communists. It's like the old Soviet Union, you can't do anything. So this week, Kathy Hochul, the, the governor, uh, lifted the statewide indoor mandate, mask mandate, and it's well long past overdue. But dropping it in some places but not others makes no sense to me. Other states have lifting, are lifting the mask restrictions for school children, not New York. Connecticut, I think New Jersey, two blue states did that. But Hochul insists on keeping it in place here. Even as the state Supreme Court ruled the mandate is an improper overreach of her power. COVID rates are dropping dramatically each week. Vaccine and booster rates continue to rise. I mean, it's time to end the mask mandate and restore some, some sense of normality to, to the state of New York. We're going to end it one way or the other. I said this in a column, which is up on the BMG network, by the way. The, all these mandates are going to end when we, when New Yorkers have said, you know what, enough is enough. We're not going to wear masks. Our children will not wear masks indoors. You know, Liz Joy, who was a congressional candidate in the most recent election. She ran against Paul Tonko. Hopefully she she unseats him or somebody unseats this guy. He's been around way too long. He's never worked in the private sector. But Liz Joy put something up on Facebook recently, and, and I'll read it to you. And, it's, and I think it was part of what I wrote in the column that's up on the BMG network. Everyone needs to understand that it is illegal and unlawful for Kathy Hochul to usurp a New York State Supreme Court judge's ruling. She cannot enforce a mask rule on children in school. The New York State Department of Education may not usurp the judge's ruling either. If you don't want your child to wear a mask, you're free to send him or her to school without one. They cannot be forced. I know there's been some letters sent out to parents, and, and I told my wife, we have one daughter in the public school system. I said, send her. If they have an issue, you know, tell them to call us. We'll take care of it. The state Supreme Court handed parents a victory. You need to have some courage. The state Supreme Court ruled. An appeal has not happened yet. Until it does, we have a victory. That's it. That's all there is to it. There's a school board in uh, Long Island, or on Long Island, Locust Valley School District. I caught some of their Board of Education meeting this week, and the... the uh, Vice president of the board said basically the same thing. But, you know, the state being what, you know, the uh, the bureaucracy and the regulatory state, how it operates, are going to go around the legislature and they're going to try to grab power. And again, it's it, whatever the uh, State Department of Health does, it's unconstitutional, it's illegal, it's unlawful, and it's been voided by a state Supreme Court judge. That ruling stands. As the uh, vice president of the board said, you know, everything else you're hearing, it's all noise. Their mask mandate is, is a mandate. It's not a law. They can't force you. But 
again, the bureaucracy is at work here. The Democrats control the bureaucracy. And she predicts the State Department of Health will, you know, go backdoor and they will uh, backdoor the process and we'll have face coverings for every New Yorker. It'll be on the books in regulation form. Vaccine mandates always on the books in regulation form. Quarantines, forced isolation, all of it. She predicts. I, I don't think they can enforce this. New Yorkers are not going to be put into isolation camps. I think that's a bit over the top. But that's what she said. Superintendents of school boards can stop this. If they banded together and they wanted to, they could stop it. Legal teams could also stop it. But they won't because most of these people are are Democrats and they probably want it. We're going to stop it. We are going to have to stop these mandates. That's all there is to it. I mean, there's going to have to be some kind of civil disobedience, the way the truckers are taking care of business in Canada. And we're going to have to force the hand of these people who try to uh, who are trying to enforce their will and their agenda on us. I want to read something here regarding Omicron. The world powers have gone after some of these these uh, scientists who said initially. You remember when this first happened? The Omicron first came on the scene. Uh, there, there's one South African scientist in particular. She was credited with discovering this mild variant which is now dominant in Western nations. And she was pressured, she says, by international agencies, politicians, and scientists to declare the variant to be more dangerous than it actually is. Dr. Angelique Kutsia told the Daily Telegraph of Australia after publicizing her conclusion that Omicron was presenting with uh, milder symptoms for most patients compared to the previous strain, the Delta, she became the target of attacks. And I'll give you her quote here from World Net Daily. Because of all... COVID's mutations, all of these scientists and politicians who are not from South Africa were contacting me and telling me I was wrong when I spoke out. How how could a politician tell a scientist they're wrong about studying? This is what scientists do for a living. They were telling me it was a serious disease. They were telling me I had no idea what I was talking about. They kept attacking me. Politicians and other scientists in Europe told her, please don't say it's a mild illness. Why? Why do they want to make this more serious than it was? Well, because they can keep this, keep these lockdowns and wherever they're happening in place, and they could keep the masks in place and all the rest of it. All right. Uh, also along the same lines here, there's a report, in, again, in WorldNet Daily. There are emails recently obtained through a Freedom of Information Act showed then National Institutes of Health Director Francis Collins asking White House coronavirus advisor Dr. Fauci to carry out a quick and devastating published takedown of the Great Barrington Declaration. Now, the Great Barrington Declaration is a a group consisting of epidemiologists. And these people are the cream of the crop. They're from Harvard, Stanford, Oxford. And Collins described these scientists as fringe. He urged Fauci and other public officials to focus on protecting the high-risk populations and They want to keep these lockdowns where they're taking place in place. So Collins, President Trump's director of the NIH, emailed the science, Fauci, that's Fauci says he's the science. And he frantically warned that the declaration was getting too much attention. He urged a rapid response to discredit the signatories. One of these guys is a Nobel Prize winner in chemistry. He wanted to take down their ideas. The science permits no debate. I thought we're to follow the science. We're not following the science, as one, the governor of uh, Georgia says. We're following the politics on all this. Anyway, uh, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this. Just a quick little in and out here this weekend. This is kind of a weekend edition of the the Pac-Man podcast. My daughter did a 
a phenomenal podcast earlier this week. It's up on the uh, the BMG network and all, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And she talks about the science and the politics of of COVID and also the education and the educational establishment and how the left controls it. We've I've mentioned this a few times on my podcast, but I, I, I was a guest host on hers and I let her take the lead. And I'll tell you, she's going places. I know she's my daughter and I'm partial and she's really phenomenal. What a... What a, a, a brain she has on her she's so intelligent and so poised and uh and behind the microphone she's a natural i mean her mother's a broadcaster i've done this for 40 years so maybe it's rubbed off on her i don't know but she's very very astute for a, a young woman her age she's 18 years of age and so listen to it it's uh the essentials with maddie flint that's up there the ken burns shows up there the adrian ross show is up there and the pac-man podcast is up there we invite you to listen and check out our uh, columns as well on the PAC Perspective. It's the bmgnetwork.com. If you want to contact me directly, you can email me at pacman, P-A-C-M-A-N, all lowercase, at the bmgnetwork.com. Thank you, folks, for tuning us in. And I gave my predictions, right? I think Cincinnati's going to win the Super Bowl. I know they're uh, probably going to be a three, four, five-point underdog, but I think they'll win it. Joe Burrow's going to pull it off. Thanks for tuning us in. If the Lord wills it, we will talk to you soon. The Pac-Man Podcast was produced and edited in the BMG Studio. Music by Kevin McLeod. For more episodes of the Pac-Man Podcast, go to the bmgnetwork.com or go to the BMG Network on Facebook. And be sure to tune into the next episode of the Pac-Man Podcast with Ted Flint.